Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 106. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is an interview on one of my very favorite subjects, self-compassion. You may recall last year in episode 36, when I spoke with Tim Ambrose Desmond, who is a marriage and family therapist and a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, who uses self-compassion in his therapy practice, and he teaches about self-compassion in courses that you can find on his website. So Tim has a new book out. It's a self-compassion workbook, and he graciously agreed to come back to Therapy Chat and talk to us about how he uses self-compassion in his own life to help him withstand some of the worst challenges we can actually imagine living with and how you can do the same thing and some of the practices that you will find in his book. So let's go ahead and get started. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm very excited to have a returning guest, someone who teaches, speaks, and practices in self-compassion, a subject that I'm very passionate about. So today, my returning guest is Tim Desmond. Tim, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy too that you could come back and you have a new book out, which caught my attention and made me want to ask you to come back. You're the author of the new book, The Self-Compassion Skills Workbook, and the previous book that I love, Self-Compassion and Psychotherapy, Mindfulness-Based Practices for Healing and Transformation. So, Tim, can you just tell our audience more about yourself and the work you do? Sure. Really broadly speaking, I guess... 
like a lot of people, like probably a lot of your listeners, I'm somebody who really wishes that we lived in a better world. Like in the sense of whatever I'm doing, whether it's psychotherapy or activism or teaching meditation, so much of what I'm doing comes from this feeling of like, it's not, you know, um, not wanting suffering for myself, not wanting suffering for other people, just like the kind of sense of like, I'm wanting the world to be a better place. And that's been a big part of my life. I mean, we, we all get into this work because we're looking for something, right? And so that's been a big part of my life since I was young. I, I mentioned to you before when I was on last time, I had a pretty hard time growing up. I grew up in Boston with a single alcoholic mother. We were always struggling financially and we were homeless for a little while. And basically, I just remember like this desire for the world to be a better place is not doesn't really it's not really altruistic in any sense that it comes from this this desire that goes back as far as I can remember of just wishing people weren't so mean wishing that I lived in a better world wish wishing sort of people were nicer to me and people like me and really identifying with people who are suffering a lot and who are kind of victims of oppression and and in, in every way and whatever I'm doing, whether it's you know teaching mindfulness to activists or teaching mindfulness to therapists, it comes from this feeling of just wanting the world to be better. The funny thing about that motivation is that it leads you pretty quickly into kind of a paradox, which is sort of like the paradox of like if, if somebody says like, relax or I'll kill you, right? It, like... What happens is if I'm, if I'm feeling like, you know, I want this world to be a better place, I want my life to be better, I want to be a better person, as soon as we identify this problem that we want to change, what we do kind of inevitably is we turn that problem into our enemy. And so whether it's like, I want, whether I'm trying to change something in society or whether I'm trying to change you know, critical or judgmental thoughts in me, as soon as I turn, I mean, let, let's say that kind of self-critical voice in me, as soon as I turn it into an enemy, well, we all know the best way to treat an enemy is to hate them and kill them, right? So as soon as we turn this, any part of me or any part of the world into an enemy, what, what happens is that we deepen the level of conflict and violence and just just that kind of radical non-acceptance of the world or of my life is really the seed of so many of these problems that we want to change, is really the seed of that judgmental thinking or that self-criticism. As soon as we say that self-criticism isn't okay, right? That, that self-critical voice in me is bad and I really want it to go away. And that's my goal. That's my New Year's resolution. I, I want to stop being self-critical. We turn that part of ourselves into an enemy and then everything that we do kind of deepens that divide. And so 
what's led me to, so this is really what's led me to self-compassion. I've been a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, the um, Vietnamese Buddhist monk and, and teacher for a long time. And the thing that I really keep learning from him and keep being challenged by is every, I, I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person that I, I keep having, I have this tendency to look for what I want to change in myself, look for what I want to change in the world. And as soon as I, as soon as I name it, it's sort of like, okay, you know, it's like that, whatever that thing is, is the problem, is the enemy. And what I keep learning from Thich Nhat Hanh is that just that way of thinking perpetuates a lot of the suffering that, I, that I'm hoping to overcome. And so instead, what's led me to, to self-compassion, to sort of the, the path of self-compassion, is learning that instead of viewing these things as a problem that needs to be vanquished or whatever, an enemy, recognizing that these are manifestations of suffering and the way to respond to suffering is with care and compassion is with embracing and wanting to help and that's just kind of a constantly you know as much as i teach this and as much as i practice it it's constantly a challenge that you know that this uh i'll, I'll find something in myself or and um and i keep going back to the sense of like okay that's the problem that's what i need to get rid of and I keep needing to be reminded over and over again of, no, that's, that is suffering in you. And what suffering needs is care and compassion. So I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, that, that, yeah. That's the way that I, that, that's the way that I think about my work is, is just kind of from that perspective. Yeah, I think that what you said is a great answer to my question better than probably what I directly asked, because I think, you know, it's, it's so hard to keep in mind that feeling better doesn't mean we have to eliminate the emotions that we don't like feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's like, that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's immediately where my mind goes. Like as soon as I, as soon as I recognize that there's, as soon as I recognize that there's something about my experience that I don't like, there's something that's not working for me, then immediately it's just sort of like, oh, that's the problem. That's the thing to, that I want to overcome. And it always takes this like extra step of it's not the problem. It's, it's a part of you that needs some love and, and compassion. Yeah. And I think in our culture and our world, I guess. It really seems yeah. that when we have things we don't like about ourselves, we want to change them and make them not be there. So yeah, to give ourselves compassion, love and care for to give those parts love, love, care, compassion is pretty counterintuitive. Yeah. Well, lately, I've been thinking about my mind a lot as kind of like a, a friend who likes to give a lot of advice and opinions that are mainly unsolicited. Like if, if you imagine that you had a friend that was just like literally, that just always was hanging out with you and always was giving you advice and opinions, that's how I relate to my mind. And sometimes those opinions are helpful. 
so the the thing that's really clear to me is this really opinionated friend loves me and is trying to help but and sometimes their advice is good a lot of times it's terrible but they're not my enemy right just because they won't shut up they won't shut up because they care about me and they're giving me their best advice and so but so and within it with, with a friend like that and this is definitely true for my mind sometimes my mind can sort of give me an opinion or give me some advice and i can just say no thanks and my and my mind will just be like okay you know i can i can just be like you know let it go come back that's not necessarily true but a lot of the time my mind will give me some kind of an of an opinion or some advice and i'll say no thanks and it'll say no you don't understand this is really important i need you to like you really have to agree with me or you really have to do this and that's the time that i have to remember that that just like a friend who's doing that if i empathize with them and i say like i see that you're trying to help and i appreciate you and i see that that really seems true for you right now and i and i just want I, and i i get that you're really trying to help me then my friend can kind of calm down a little if i try to argue with them or if i try to just ignore them you know it it doesn't make the situation better it doesn't lead louder. to they get louder you know there's just like it, it certainly doesn't lead to the harmony that i'm looking for or the sense of sort of like peacefulness and spaciousness that i'm looking for and so so you know my my really opinionated friend is you know we'll just sort of point at something and be like look that's the problem that's the that's the thing that's ruining your life and i need to rather than just be like yeah you're right i need to to remember to kind of say okay i t- i can tell you really want me to you want to help you want you want me to have more peace and spaciousness and well-being in my life and that's why you're trying to do this you really you you're really trying to look out for me and um and thank you for that and i see that that's your opinion right now but i'm going to i want to do a little more inquiry before i decide whether to agree with you or not it's definitely easier to do that than to do the thing that we usually do which is just sort of argue mhm i think maybe the the hard part is even seeing your mind as that opinionated friend rather than just reacting to what your mind says is the problem you know without even that pause yeah well to do that is really hard i mean it's it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of training the the more that i think about mindfulness and and self compassion the more i like to think about them as training your mind like when you bring a puppy home the puppy is untrained and if you don't train that puppy they're going to ruin your carpet and an untrained mind is going to ruin a lot more than your carpet like if if we if we don't train our minds to be able to to not just run wild with worries and judgments and and all the places that they go if we don't train them then yeah they they they're just you know pretty out of control but like a puppy if we have a lot of patience and gentleness and consistency and 
positive feedback, then it's possible to train our minds. And yeah, it's really the product of that training where you start to see the fruits of the practice. It's that um, practicing over and over and over again to the point that in the really hard moments of life, you can remember to practice. And that doesn't happen naturally. Like that's when life is really hard. That's the last time that most of us remember to come back to the present moment, to come back to our bodies, to be kind to ourselves. And what, what it takes is training ourselves in those qualities over and over and over again, in the same way that you'd sort of train yourself in any kind of skill like self-defense. If you want to learn self-defense, you train yourself, you kind of drill yourself over and over and over again to the point that it starts to feel automatic. And, and it's really only then that you can use it when you need it. Right. Because in that situation, if it's a self-defense thing, your, your automatic response would be, you know, like fight or flight or whatever. So you have to have this be as much of an automatic response as that. There's a, um, a Greek um, kind of military poet that wrote a, a line that I always think about when talking about training your mind. And the line is, we don't rise to the level of our aspirations, we fall to the level of our training. And what that means is that in a moment of crisis, that's, that's not the time that we think of something new. In a moment of crisis, that is you know, all we have access to. And cognitive science has really demonstrated this pretty clearly. All we have access to is what we've trained ourselves in enough that our automatic pilot consciousness can do it. That if we can do it with no conscious control, but just, but just on automatic pilot, only then do we have access to it in a moment of crisis. It's amazing if we can train ourselves in therapy. When I'm working with clients, one of the things that I really try to help people to do is to to use their own symptoms, to use their own distress as a bell of mindfulness. In, um, if you go to Plum Village where Thich Nhat Hanh lives, there's all these bells that you'll hear. And every time there's a bell, everybody stops and takes three breaths. So that people, you know, anybody who's walking will stop or conversations will stop and people who are chopping vegetables will stop. Um, and it's not like stopping like freeze tag. Like the like hearing, the, yeah, no, hearing the bell, it's like stopping like, what's going on? Why am I here? What do I need to be happy right now? And connecting with why am I like asking the question, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Like really coming back to the to sort of um, to what's alive in you. And actually, that's probably one of the most dangerous what in Buddhism we call near enemies of mindfulness. One of the most dangerous, maybe we could say like imposters of mindfulness is the kind of mindfulness that turns you into a mindfulness zombie. The kind of mindfulness that actually makes you a little bit more dead or a little bit like it's sort of like you're just going through the motions. So you're smiling and slowing down, but you're doing it by actually kind of dissociating from what's really alive in you. And that is not the practice that Thich Nhat Hanh teaches. The, the practice of mindfulness is really about becoming more in touch with life, 
becoming more in touch with what's alive in you. And so this, this kind of a bell, hearing this bell and stopping is not about stopping and sort of dissociating from what you were just doing. It's, it's a bell of stopping and saying, wait, what's, what's really alive right now? And so I want to teach clients that when you notice that anxiety start building up in your chest, when you notice yourself kind of having these, you know, um, ruminative thoughts, that's a bell to stop and come back to this moment and get in touch with what's really alive in you right now. And so, yeah, I think that's um, one of the biggest problems with the way that my is sometimes taught is that it, it can be interpreted as something that is the opposite of what it's supposed to be in the sense that it's it's something that sort of deadens you a little bit but yeah but really mindfulness is transformative mindfulness is beautiful mindfulness is worth practicing when it's something that makes you more alive makes you more like more deeply in touch with life wow that's I'm going to have to think about that one a lot. (laughs) Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm thinking one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and I think it relates to this, but feel free to correct yeah. me, is sure. an article that you recently published in Mindful Full Magazine or Mindful.org. And you described a situation where you were feeling a lot of intense emotion and you were able to use mindfulness not to escape from the situation, but to bring bring you more into the present moment and into what was actually happening then. Yeah. Is that kind yeah. of what you mean or is that? that, that yeah, that, that's definitely what I mean. Um, and just to, for, for your listeners, I wrote an article recently about something that I've been going through in my life for the past few years in, in 2015, um, just after our son turned two. My wife was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And in the past couple of years since that diagnosis, we've been through multiple surgeries and chemotherapy and recurrences and more surgeries and more chemotherapy. And, and we're 
continuing, you know, we're, we're in the middle of that journey right now. Actually, as we record this, um, we have uh, new scans and then chemotherapy, I think, three days from now. And what I was writing about was an experience that I had, you know, maybe our last rounds of scans. So one of the things that's been really hardest for me in this whole journey has been um, when my wife has a set of scans, will she'll go through and have the scans done and then either later that day or much more often the next day, we meet with our doctor and hear the results. And right now, you know, we're in a place where any set of scans could be news that's basically our lives are going to be radically changed from this point forward. And so when we, uh, we'll, we'll sit in the waiting room and then we'll go into the doctor's office. And then sitting in the doctor's office, it seems like we're always just sitting there for at least like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, waiting for the doctor to come. And there'll be people walking up and down the, ha- the hallway. And every set of footsteps that we hear, it's like, is that the doctor? Are we going to hear now? And that's one of the hardest times for me. And my wife and I always meditate during that time. And the story that I told was about a last set of scans we went through. We were sitting and meditating together in the doctor's office, waiting for the doctor to come in. And I was aware of this really intense block of aversion in me. This incredibly strong feeling of just no, just I don't want this. I don't want, I don't want reality to be what it is right now. Like just kind of this is unacceptable. And I think we can all relate to feeling that in different contexts. And luckily because of my practice, I was able to say to myself, okay, stay with this feeling, come back to your body. And coming back to the sensations in my body and just allowing that feeling to be there without trying to change it at all, it calmed enough that I was able to, to, to see into it, you know, able to sort of ask the question, okay, so what is it about this moment that is so painful? And kind of obvious answer came up, which is, I don't want to lose my wife. And I, again, just slowed down sat with that reality that's that incredibly strong what we sometimes call mental formation thought in me and just allowed myself to sit with it rather than reacting to it i don't want to lose her i just kind of let myself say that and feel it i don't want to lose her i don't want to lose her and as i was saying that i'm i look down and i'm seeing i'm holding her hand right now there she is she's alive right now And what I saw in that moment is that all of that suffering in me, the root of it was the awareness of how precious her life is to me. And and there she is alive right next to me right now. And then it just seemed so ludicrous that I would be doing anything other than celebrating the fact that we're together. It just seemed ridiculous. Here we are. Like, why would I be? Why is this a moment of grieving? This is a moment that that she is alive now here together, and that's you know, that's 
the freedom that comes from when we can be in touch with the present moment, you know, when we can actually see what's here in front of us. And, and the insight that, that came for me in that experience was that I've heard Thich Nhat Hanh say so many times that our suffering and our joy are not separate. They're made out of the same stuff. But this was definitely like the deepest and clearest that I've experienced that, which is the root of all of that pain that I was feeling. It's like it was made, the energy that it was made out of is my wife is so precious to me. And just that cherishing that connection looked at from one perspective creates this tremendous suffering, but then the, the very same energy can, can give rise to this experience of, of like joy and celebration and gratitude more than anything. And so one of the main metaphors that Thich Nhat Hanh uses when he talks about self-compassion and the, and, and the transformation of suffering and healing is turning compost, uh, turning garbage into compost and compost into flowers, which is basically like life gives you garbage, but you've learned how to turn garbage into compost and compost into flowers. And the thing that I love about that analogy is that it's not that life gives you garbage and you know how to just not think about the garbage too much or how to get rid of the garbage. But no, you know how to turn that same garbage into something beautiful. That that is actually the, that that's actually a, a, a possibility with mindfulness and compassion practices. And th- this is definitely, uh, that, that experience that I wrote about is definitely a, a really clear experience for me of, of what that means, of just that, it, that um, the suffering itself is not separate from gratitude. Thank you for sharing that beautiful yeah. story. And, and it's, I mean, I was really moved by it. And I know that it probably has already helped many people and, and hopefully people who are listening who may be dealing with some kind of situation that seems impossible can take away a little hope out of that too. Because I yeah. thought that was very helpful. Thanks. So... I want to ask you about the two books, the Self-Compassion and Psychotherapy and the Self-Compassion Skills Workbook. Are they, are they intended to be used together? Do they complement one another or are they fully separate? I think they can be used together. I think Self-Compassion and Psychotherapy is really a book for primarily for therapists or people who are wanting to go pretty deep into thinking about the relationship between suffering, compassion, and healing. And so what I, what I tried to do there is offer everything that I've come to believe and experience about how compassion can be used to heal suffering in our personal practice and, in, and especially in psychotherapy. The, the workbook is intended for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the workbook can be used by therapists with their clients, can be used by uh, clients on their own. It's the, um, the format of the workbook is based on some research by Richie Davidson, where he's been looking for for a while sort of what is the, 
minimum dose, people ask them all the time, well, what is the minimum dose of meditation training that is going to lead to real changes? And after a lot of experiments, he's come to believe that 30 minutes a day for two weeks of compassion training leads to measurable changes in both behavior and brain physiology. So if we can do 30 minutes a day for two weeks, that's generally would be considered sort of like the, the minimum dose where we, should, where we can expect behavioral and physiological changes. So I set up the workbook as guided, a way of guiding someone's practice, sort of a, a you know, 30 minutes a day for two weeks kind of practice. And the way that the workbook is set up is different practices are helpful for, for different people. And I, I, I've seen a lot of attempts by meditation teachers to, to try to individualize meditation practices for people because we're aware that it's it's really true like some people respond to this kind of practice some people respond to that kind of practice for some people on a day-to-day basis you know different things are going to feel helpful but generally when people do that it's been these kinds of practices if you're depressed these kinds of practices for perfectionism these kinds of practices for anxiety and that's certainly not how Thich Nhat Hanh teaches. And that really hasn't been my experience of what's most effective for people. My experience of what's most effective for people is you sort of start with a body scan. And depending on what comes up, it might be this practice or that practice. And so I divided the core self-compassion practices into eight core practices that have like a a few variants of each, divided them into eight core practices and created what I call the map to self-compassion, which is basically a flow chart. So you begin by doing a body scan. And then depending on what comes up in your body scan, you look at this kind of flow chart and it says, you know, um, in, the fir- in your first body scan, it says, do you notice any distress or any suffering that comes up? Yes or no? The suffering or distress that's coming up, do you find, is it overwhelmingly strong or can you tolerate it? Yes or no. And depending on your answers to those questions, it will point you at different practices and kind of move you from one practice to the next, depending on what comes up for you in that particular session of of practicing. And probably the thing that I'm most proud of, uh, the thing that I was hoping the most I got a, uh, a review on uh, Amazon.com of someone who is using the workbook as kind of a, um, to, uh, as sort of like a, an amendment or, or um, using the workbook as a complementary treatment in working with complex trauma. Like she was actually able to to use this workbook, to use the practices that were here and be able to practice self-compassion with complex trauma, being supervised by a therapist, but also on her own. And that was really what I was hoping for because a lot of, a lot of self-help tools, especially sort of mindfulness-based self-help tools, 
the way that they're the the way that they're presented they're they don't have sort of the adequate depth a lot of them for use with really deep issues with you know with complex trauma and dissociation and what i was really hoping with this workbook is to create something that would be usable for people even with really intense suffering and um the feedback that i'm getting is that it actually does work so you can you can check it out either through ww norton the publisher or or on amazon and i think um on ww norton they'll let you kind of download a a free exercise um and kind of take a look at it but but yeah i i'm i'm really happy with how it's come out yeah it's um i love the map and you know what you said about complex trauma is music to my ears because I was looking at the map and I was saying, oh, you know, I know some clients who have DID or some very severe yeah. dissociation who yeah. this kind of map is like, and it's like, it does look like a flow chart and there's a little yeah. tear out small version of it in the book, which I'm looking at right now. It's, it's perfect because I mean, I think it even taps into that resource of the cognition to be able to say, yeah, oh, here, what do I do next? What do I do next? And yeah, brings I, you back into the room. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, I'm very eager to use this with some of my clients who, you know, it may just be a little too, too broad to just try practicing self-compassion without some kind of guideline. Yeah. Yeah. If this happens and what to do if that happens. So I, I really love this. Yeah. And then the with the workbook, I also recorded all of the guided practices. And if, if um, and so when you buy the workbook, there's a, a link that comes with it um, where you can either stream or download all of the practices. So it, it's kind of a, a similar you can rather than having to read them, you can also listen to them. That's great. I got to find that link in there because um, I saw some little icons of um, like yeah. an audio thing and I was like, Oh, are these recorded? Obviously, I haven't had a chance to read the whole book because I just got yeah. it. But. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Well, I think this is a, an amazing resource, and I'm sure it's going to be helping so, so many people. I know I'll be using it with my clients and recommending people to order it. So well, I know we're getting short on time, and I don't want to hold you up, but do you have a minute just to tell people about where to find all the things you're doing? Because I know you have more than... Books. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my books, uh, you can find my books anywhere that books are sold. On my website, timdesmond.net, you can find a uh, an online uh, video training in self-compassion. Um, you can, it's uh, self-paced. It, there's 12 weeks of content, but you can actually do it, you know, take as, as long or short as you want. And there's a free trial. So if you go to timdesmond.net, and look for the um, the online video training. People can can find that. I have some advanced trainings for therapists in the Boston area coming up. So if, again, if you go to timdesmond.net, you can see uh, we'll be in Cambridge, Newton, and Salem, Massachusetts, um, September. I believe it's 18th, 19th, and 20th. And then, uh, and we still have openings, and you can sign up online. And yeah, that's, that's, uh, and, and, you know, and any other, I'll be in the Denver area and I think November, and you can, again, find that on my website, timdesmond.net. Right. And 
you also have a community that you co-founded, right? Yeah. So uh, this week we're actually having uh, um, our all ages kind of family retreat at Morning Sun Mindfulness Center. So the website there is morningsuncommunity.org. And um, it's a retreat center and co-housing community in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. And so if you're interested in, uh, in practicing or attending our retreats or just want to learn more about our community, you can find it at morningsuncommunity.org. It's uh, a really wonderful place in southwestern New Hampshire, uh, near Keene, New Hampshire, uh, right outside of Antioch University. Awesome. Well, I will put a link to both websites in the show notes in case anybody who's listening didn't get a chance to jot them down. And I just want to thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. I just loved this conversation and I'm really grateful for the work you're doing. Well, thanks. It was great to, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Tim Desmond about self-compassion. I hope you got some new perspective about how self-compassion can help us. It's not about trying to relax or trying not to feel our feelings, but it's about just being in the moment with what is and being able to tolerate that. Something that I'm still working on, and maybe that's why I'm so interested in learning more about it every chance I get. Thanks, as always, for listening to Therapy Chat. I appreciate your support. I would appreciate your ratings and reviews on whatever platform you listen to Therapy Chat on. And please, if you haven't done so already, consider downloading the free Therapy Chat app from the iTunes store. If you have the app, you can receive all your episodes as soon as they are released and they will be all in one place for your easy listening and sharing. And if you have tried the app and you like it, or if you don't, please go to iTunes and leave an honest review of the app. I would love that. I'd love to hear what you think of it. Thank you so much. Take care. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 
Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.